<laughs> well, I'm thrilled to be here. Absolutely thrilled to be here. And we must do one thing, and uh, that's a little unlikely for you to imagine, but I want a picture of all of you. So put on your best look, smile, because of my look, when I'm looking at it, I want to be encouraged. Now, can you do that? Uh, my wife and I brought people with us who are helping us in a lot of things. And uh, one of the young ladies who works in my office and helps me, Tatiana, I want you to stand up here. You're a little embarrassed, I'm sure. But uh, I want you to smile and do your best. We're going to get your picture. All right? Should I do it on the count of three? One, two, three. Oh, you're getting both sides. <laughs> now, that will appear somewhere in the United States, in Tennessee, very shortly. As a young person, we send that to and uh, we wanted to be able to pray that God would bless and use this ministry. What could I say about to your pastor and his wife that uh, I haven't said already on visits when I've been with you? I just want you to know that when God created people to serve him, he chose some wonderful people as the very best in your pastor and his wife. They're great people. Great people. I have known Juliana when, when she was, I know I've known her all of her life. Can you imagine that? I've been a pastor for 56 years. Think of it, 56 years. I'm aiming for more. Someone says, that's a long time. I said, well, not long enough. So anyway, I've known her all of her life. And uh, these are people who love the Lord and the very best people. You have got the very best leader the very best pastor, very best pastor, wife, wonderful people, wonderful people. And uh, God's blessed them with a beautiful family. My wife and I love them very much. I want my wife to stand just a second. She and I have been married all of our lives. <laughs> she was raised in the hills of Tennessee. As a matter of fact, if you watch her walk, one leg seems shorter than the other because she was raised on those hills walking on. <laughs> but I fell in love with her when she was 14 years old. So she hadn't had much of a chance uh, to do much else. And uh, I didn't marry her when she was 14, but not long after that. I'm trying to figure out which, which glass is mine. This one? This one must be yours? Good. Well, I don't want to look like you, so anyway. <laughs> That's good. <clears throat> Very good. Well, we're going to have a time in the Word of God. I'm just asking God to use us. You think, think about this. I have average preaching every day, every day 
for over half a century. And uh, when you come in a place like this, you want to say that one thing that would be the most helpful thing for all people. May God help us. You're praying for me, I know, and I appreciate it. I can't think of a more beautiful sight than all of you, and I appreciate you praying for me. And when we're here, have these young people with us, they're exposed to so many things that speak to their hearts and minds. That's what we're asking God to do. I was raised by a little tiny mother. This is mothering day, right? She was five feet tall, weighed under 100 pounds. We have any little ladies like that, short ladies? Yes. Can you imagine? And I'm the first of four children born to her. My mother was a frustrated person as far as life is concerned. She didn't have an opportunity. She had an abusive stepfather. She had to leave home when she was just a child. And so all her dreams and the things she wanted to do with her life were unfulfilled. But when she was married and had babies, she concentrated all of her energy into putting into our lives all the things she wanted us to be and the, all the things she had dreamed of being and doing. And uh, I thank God for her. I remember she's with Jesus now, but I remember with all the fondness you could ever have for a mother. And we praise God for that. I want you to take your Bible, would you please, and turn with me to the book of Second Timothy. I appreciate what was read a moment ago from the Scriptures. And we're going to just look at some of the verses and come to one word that I hope God will use to speak to all of you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is finishing his earthly journey. Imagine finishing his earthly journey. Just a short time, he'll walk out into a Roman courtyard and have his head cut off. As far as we know, that's the way he died. And he's writing the last thing he would write in the Word of God to his son in the ministry, Timothy. And as he pens these words, God has taken the same message to speak to all of us. When you hold your Bible, you have a Bible that has 66 books. And every book is the Word of God. When we come to this portion in the Word of God in the New Testament, these are pastoral or personal epistles. Really zeroing in on what to do with your life to make it count for the most, for God and for His glory. To one person, Timothy. And now we take the words to us. So let's read just a little bit of it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. The Bible goes on to say, for of this sort of they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the Lord gives an example of two people in Moses' day. Their names were Janus and Jambres, and they withstood Moses. And the Bible says, and they resist also the truth. What you're going to have to do all of your life is deal with the truth and a lie. What is the truth? The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You may be a very religious person and still not know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. I came to Christ as a result of a personal witness. Someone got a burden for me, a, a desire to lead me to the Lord. I remember the day they said to me, are you a Christian? If I said to you, are you a Christian? What would your answer be? What would you say? Right now, if I said to you, are you a Christian? What is your answer? And I said to them, oh, I believe the Bible. I attend a church. I believe in God. But the man knew that I'd never really been born again and explained to me the way of salvation very carefully, explained to me how to know Jesus as my Savior. He explained to me that the Lord Jesus Christ became a man without ceasing to be God. Imagine that. The Son of God became a man without ceasing to be God and came to earth, lived among men, never sinned, and went to the cross and died for me. And when he died for me, he paid my sin debt. Imagine, he had never sinned, but he became sin for me. Just like you, he became sin for you. In other words, everything you've ever done wrong, ever would do wrong, or anything you ever heard about somebody doing wrong, Jesus Christ took the payment of that in his own life as he died on the cross for our sin. And the billows of God's wrath, all the anger of God for the sinful world was poured out on Jesus Christ as he tasted God's wrath, the wrath of God the Father for our sins. And he died. If you're standing beneath the cross and ask beneath the cross, what's going on? Why is this man dying? This innocent man dying? The answer would be he's not dying for himself. He's dying for others. He's dying for you. Did you know somebody died for you? And it's just not anybody who died for you. The Son of God died for you. The only one who could pay our sin debt because he owed no debt of his own died for us. And as he died on that cross, your debt was paid. My debt was paid. 
The tragedy is millions of people, and not sometimes millions, but just numbers of people you know, are going to hell unnoticed. They live and they die, and they never come to know Christ as Savior because someone who knows the Lord has never told them about how to know the Lord. How many of you know in your heart that you know Jesus as your Savior? Would you raise your hand, please? You know him as your Savior. Then what about the debt we owe? We owe a debt. It's been paid for us. And we need to tell other people the debt's been paid for them. That's what Christ came to earth to do for us. He died for you. Nothing ever got a hold of my heart like that. I thought I knew about God and I was a Christian. I attended church, but I'd never been born again. And someone explained to me what I'm explaining to you. And I bowed my head and asked God to forgive my sin. And by faith, I trusted the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And he came and lived in me. You say, that's simple? That's how simple God makes it. If you know this verse, I want you to say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does that mean? You should not perish, never die and go to hell, but have everlasting life. What do you have to do? You have to do some great deed? No. You have to pay some great price? No, the price has already been paid. What do you have to do? Believe. Believe the message of salvation and ask God to forgive your sin and be your Savior. There are all kinds of people everywhere who have some religious leanings, but they've never truly been born again. And Paul to Timothy is pressing the matter. You're always going to fight sin. You're always going to deal with people who are resisting the truth. Some are doing it more ferociously and fearfully than others. But don't be surprised when people resist God. That's what sinners do. But you, if you know the Lord, you have a responsibility to tell others about the Lord. And he goes on to say, and I want to read this part. I want you to hear it, please. The Bible says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. You hear people talking about things are getting worse and worse. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Verse 13. And what are they doing? They're deceiving. And they're being deceived. But God says to us in verse 14, if you look at it, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now God says we must target the idea of reaching children as young as possible, telling them about the Lord, telling people about Jesus. Every time you have a children's ministry, Satan will fight it. 
Because if you see a man, people rejoice and say, this grown man, this old man trusted the Lord as his Savior. Or this older lady trusted the Lord as her Savior. And people get so happy about that. And you have a person who gets saved, we ought to rejoice. But when you reach a child, a young child who can be open and give her heart or his heart to the Lord all their life long, that's the thing Satan hates. That's the thing you must emphasize, reaching young people as early as possible. And so Timothy, no doubt, is thinking while Paul writes this to him about his childhood. Timothy was raised by two godly women, two godly women, a grandmother and a mother. To our knowledge, his father was an unbeliever. But Timothy was raised by a grandmother who knew the Lord. And she poured her influence into her daughter, and the both of them poured their influence into Timothy. So much so that when the Apostle Paul came in contact with him in the certain area where he lived, people started saying, there is a young man. How do you get to be that kind of young man? There's a young man who really has a heart for God, who wants to do something big with his life. Have you met him? Would you like to have a child like that? It doesn't just happen. Somebody's invested in that child. Somebody's poured their heart in that child. And here the Lord says, and this is what happened. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And God says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word says half has been thoroughly furnished, meaning he's not half baked. In our part of the world, people emphasize so many things in the life of kids. I see them celebrating when a child, very young child, excels in some sports arena. Many times, that's a passing thing. But what about the things they do in the heart of that child? How many mothers and grandmothers and fathers are working diligently, striving to get everything into the heart and mind of their child that they can place there about knowing the Lord Jesus? And that's what Paul is saying. Can you imagine a man dying? His whole life is spent. And he's going out to meet God. And he's saying, I have this advice and encouragement. This is what you're to do. Do all you can to reach the young people diligently. Make sure you get God's word into their heart and mind because they have their whole life to live, to live for the Lord. And the kind of boys and girls you have determines the kind of men and women they're going to be. Think of that. When my mother talked to me, she would say to me, I want you to become a, a brave man, strong man. I want you to be a godly person. She never had that opportunity, but she influenced me. 
And she always said to me, God has something for your life. Think about a mother's advice and counsel. God has something special for your life. That's what she told me. How many times have you told a child, God has something special for your life? Something he wants to do. You're just not passing through among millions of people living and dying while you're here. God has something special for your life. And what he does, he uses the word of God, all scripture, and he accomplished these five things. He teaches you salvation. Have you ever been taught the way of salvation? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about the church. But have you ever been instructed in the way of salvation? If you know the way of salvation, you can tell others the way of salvation. I cannot think of anything more tragic than the millions of people in this country who live and die and never hear the way of salvation. And those who owe must tell those who don't know. You must tell people about the Lord, that he's the only way of salvation. Sometimes people say, well, I've heard that before. You may have never really registered in your heart. The Lord Jesus is the only way of salvation. There are not 10 ways, 20 ways, 50 ways. There's not your way and somebody else's way. There's God's way. And the Lord Jesus is that way. Do you know the way of salvation? And then he says the word of God not only gives you the way of salvation, but all scriptures give my inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. What people believe Doctrine is our belief in teaching. What are you teaching children about life? What are you teaching children about eternity? What are you teaching children about God? About knowing God, meeting God? The only thing we must do is take the Word of God and teach them the truth of God's Word. That's what God's given us to do. And the only way it's imparted is from one person who knows telling a person who doesn't know. May God help us. Then the Bible says it's not only profitable doctrine, it's for reproof. Can you imagine how wicked we'd all be if God didn't reprove us and say, that's not right. There's certain things that could be done right here in this audience. Somebody offend a child and say something or do something to someone who's a child, and everyone in this room would rise up and say, that's not right! That's what God does. He reproves us. He gives us a standard in His Word, and He tells us what's right and wrong. That's what the Bible does. And then it's not only for reproof, it's for correction. That is the right way. What do you tell a boy to grow up and be an honest young man? Or a young lady to grow up and be the right kind of young lady? That's the right way. This is the right way. It's all about God's way. And then the Bible says, for instruction in righteousness. The older I get, 
The pastor said a moment ago, I'm 74 years old. And the older I get, the more necessity I find to repeat the same truths to one generation after the next generation. Like Timothy's mother was telling Timothy what she had learned from her mother. The Bible records that story. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to just keep telling the truth of God to one generation to another. I want to give you one word, and I want to be your word, please. When Paul talks about all these things as he's signing off, he says in verse 14, but continue thou, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Continue. Would you say that word with me just once? Everyone, the word is continued. Together, continue. Together, please, to continue. That's how you get it done. We're not looking for some new thing, some new way. You may be meeting under a tent in a canvas meeting place here, and you may have this field filled with people, but you're doing what people have done for centuries with the Word of God and continuing the things that God's taught in His Word. Be grateful, and you are. Be grateful to God that you lived long enough to see the truth break through in people's lives. I came to this country for 12 years and said, God help me to start a church there. This is not my country, but to start a church. I went from place to place trying to get people to help me find buildings to start churches. This has been many years ago. Now it's about 25 years ago. And finally, my wife and I were praying and praying and praying that God would open a door because we knew God's message is what we need. If you give God's message to people, people will hear it. Some will believe and be saved and lives changed. And so we tried and tried. Finally, one day, one day, a faithful pastor in this country said to me, we have a building for you. Another pastor the same week said the same thing about the same building in Birmingham. That's not the end of it. Another pastor, a fourth pastor, said to me in his office, we found a building for you. It's empty. They don't use it for anything. And that's not the end of it. A fourth pastor, believe it or not, a fourth pastor said, we found a building for you. You know, when you get to hearing things one time after another, after another and another, you say something, something's going on. And God was dealing with me. And so it all started. This is a result of that. We trained the people. I remember when we started a chapel in Oxford, after that chapel, we were, I climbed over a wall in Jericho 
I was a little more fit than I am now. But I actually climbed over the wall and came inside a little court area, tried to look at the building to start to start that church there. This this is the result of that. But we're not trying to do some new thing. We didn't come to bring some new truth. There is no new truth. We just came to preach the story of God's Word to all people and the way of salvation to all people. And once you've heard, you become a debtor to tell others. That's what God does. So the only thing I have to say to you is continue. Continue what God has started. Continue the work that God is doing. I was in a little restaurant years ago. I've been in the ministry now 56 years, as I told you. I was in a little restaurant, and I said to the people I was eating a meal with, I want, I want to speak to someone. I looked across the restaurant, the place to eat, and I saw the man who led me to Christ. And uh, I was overwhelmed. And I said, excuse me, I want to go thank him for what he did. He has no idea that college has been started and churches have been established and 5,000 people have been graduated from a college and they're on every continent serving the Lord. I just want him to know what he did with one person's life has been multiplied. And I walked over to the place where he was seated. And I said, do you remember me? And he had followed the ministry God has given me. And he said, yes, Clarence, I know you. And I said, Don, his name was Don Breitwell. I said, how are you doing? And how are things? And I called the name of the church. Listen. And he said, I'm not there anymore. I'm not anywhere in the Lord's service anymore. I excused myself as quickly as I could. I had nothing more to say. I went back to the seat where I was seated and I asked the people with me, we need to go, let's go now. And they said, what's gone wrong? And after we left the restaurant, I said, that's the man that God used to continue to start it all in my heart. That's the fellow who led me to Jesus. And now, and now he says he's finished with it all. He's nowhere serving God. And I said, there are many boys and young men in this place that will never hear what I heard and whose lives will never be changed like my life has been changed because he quit. He stopped. He didn't continue. And I'm saying to you, it's wonderful what God's done. It's wonderful. But if you think it just happens, I can tell you, 
This will be nothing but a parking lot someday, a place with gravel and all the ruins of everything that's here disappeared if somebody doesn't continue to do what Paul encouraged Timothy to do. Paul said, Timothy, I'm a dying man. And there's one thing you must do. Continue. What God has started in your heart, continue. And that's the message I give to you. There's some of you right here, right now, who've never been born again. You can be saved today. There's some of you who've been saved and you've lost the wonder of it all. God wants to stir your heart again so you can do something for the Lord. And the Word of God says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. That's all you have to do. All across the land, anywhere in the world, anywhere here, just continue what God started. How many of you know God started something in your life? He started something. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Just continue it. This is my exhortation to you. Let's pray together. Pastor. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the word that we've heard this morning. We thank thee for the the words that thy spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to pen for us. We pray that by thy help and by thy grace, we would continue. Help us, Father, to not quit and not to slow down and not to give up. Help us to remember the words of our Savior, that no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Help us, Father, instead, when we feel like quitting, Lord, help us to press on by faith. Increase our faith this morning. We thank thee for the exhortation. We pray, Lord, that that word continue would ring in our ears over and over again. When we feel the burden growing heavier, may we hear the words of the Apostle Paul continue. We feel as if we can't go forward. Remind us, Lord, that we must continue. Help us to believe that thou hast given us all things in thy word. That thy word is profitable not just for salvation initially, but for doctrine, reproof, correction and instruction in righteousness. Help us, we pray. We thank thee for thy word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing our final hymn this morning, an appropriate hymn, hymn number four, Revive Thy Work, O Lord. And there are times when you need a personal revival. 
when you're in your own heart and soul. You need to be revived so that you can continue. There are times when you feel as if the flame is just about to be out. And as we sing this, may it be a personal hymn this morning. Revive thy work, O Lord, now to thy saints appear. O speak with power to every soul, and let thy people hear. Let's stand together. Hymn number four. <laughs> 